And so we continue in the Mark 1 series, and as I was just thinking about uh, this morning, um, earlier in the week, I was walking down the pavement, and there was a dad and a lad in front of me, and they're having a conversation, the boy was misbehaving just a little bit, and very warmly, but quite sort of firmly and seriously, I heard the dad say, so what on earth do you think you're doing? What on earth are you doing? And it struck me as a rather good question. <laughs> Hard luck. <laughs> to put over uh, today's message, actually, to put over where we are. What on earth are you doing? That's not a bad question. It's a massive question, far too big for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. But nonetheless, it's prompted by the bigness and the scale of the text and the theme that uh, I've been given to address in uh, Mark chapter 1 again this morning. So tough if you were hoping for something a bit more digestible, um, you know, five ways to cope with supermarket queues or um, stop swearing at your kids or whatever, top tips for fasting more effectively. Maybe you were hoping for that this morning, but what you're getting is something uh, very big scale. A subtitle for the message could be this. Um, in fact, it's a way of answering the question, actually, that Jesus gives to us. Enter, enjoy, extend the kingdom. The kingdom of God. Gareth has been praying about that. We've been focusing a little bit on that in, in our prayer life in the last period of time. And that's the theme. Kingdom is our theme today. So we're still in Mark 1. I think that's the third Sunday running. We're hoping to finish the series by about Christmas. 2019. And here is, uh, it's, always, it's great stuff. We could stay in Mark for a long time. Here is uh, this gigantic statement then from Mark. Well, you might want to find Mark 1 if you've got Bibles with you. Always good to have them open. We'll come to some of the later bits a little, in a little while. But here is this enormous statement from Jesus in his opening words, the first thing he's recorded as saying in Mark's gospel. Verses 14 and 15, just going to read those. They'll be on the screen as well. After John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And what was the good news of God? He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Just need to grab hold of the scale of this a minute. Because this is huge. We think of history the history of the world, so often in terms of kings and queens and wars and inventions and battles and nation states being formed and all of that kind of thing, and all of that is, is right and proper. There is an even more real history of the world, an even bigger kind of concept of reality. It can be summarized in nine words. Can we just get our heads around the scale of it again? You may have seen me do this once before. Creation, God starts everything off. Fall, we mess it up. Incarnation, that's Jesus coming. God in flesh. The cross, just celebrated. The resurrection, continues to celebrate. Ascension, a couple of, about 10 days ago, Thursday, Jesus came back to be at the right hand of the Father. Pentecost, today we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, Spirit poured out. Blank, second coming of Jesus. Would you agree that's a history, that is a real history of the world, an even more real history of the world from start to end than anything that we might learn in the history classes? That's real right there. That's no, that's no fairy tale. That's it. That's the Bible story beginning to end. And of course, we live here, don't we? We live in blank. That's where we are right now. And I don't really mind what label you put over that. We could kind of debate that theologically. Maybe that's quite a good thing to do sometimes. Some, some people might want to call that mission, maybe, or the last days or uh, the, age of the, king, uh, the age of the Spirit, something like that. 
we could do that. The point is, why, if heaven's going to be so much better, why has God not taken us there yet? Answer, because there's still stuff to do. If heaven's going to be so much better and he's a loving God, why hasn't he taken us home, those of us who, who trust in him? Well, because there's stuff to do. There's his mission to be fulfilled, our great commission to be fulfilled as we partner with him in making disciples of all nations and in bringing to bear more of his kingdom here on earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. So familiar. Such a familiar prayer. I wonder what it means to you. I wonder what it has meant to you these last 10 days as we've been praying it, joining churches around the whole world, focusing on that prayer for those who don't yet know the Lord on the one hand, and for us who do, for those of us in the church, to be filled with his spirit, to be filled with a greater courage, to be filled with a greater passion and compassion, to play our part, partnering with God, filled with his spirit, in the fulfilling of that commission, to make disciples and to see his kingdom come more fully. What on earth am I doing? Make no apology. I think from time to time, like the father with the child, the father lovingly but firmly and seriously asked that of us. What on earth are you doing? I get, we get a clue to the answer to that question right here. Very big, I know, huge scale. We have to anchor it in some reality. But in the big picture of things, as a Jesus follower, I am a kingdom person. It's part of my identity. I'm a human being before a human doing. But in terms of the living out of that, seeing God's will being done on earth as in heaven, in seeing his kingdom come in my own life, in my family's life, in my community's life, and so on. God's kingdom, you'll know this, it's the central theme of the Bible. Plenty of big themes, but there's none bigger than that. God's kingdom. It's the central theme of Jesus' life and uh, ministry and teachings. The first thing, therefore, that he speaks about here, he speaks a lot about the Father, even more actually slightly, but there's 126 references in the Gospels to the kingdom. It's the lens through which we are to see not just our whole lives, but the whole world, where it's come from, where it's going, and how we relate to it. Brief reminder about the kingdom if we're just struggling to kind of, it's not very familiar language, is it? Uh, kingdom to us necessarily, not in terms of day-to-day terms anyway. The people who heard it, be very familiar language. For, for the Jews, this was a familiar phrase. They may have misinterpreted uh, in Jesus how it came about and what they were expecting and ended up not really, how could he possibly represent the kingdom if he ends up on, on a cross? Nonetheless, kingdom, the kingdom of God was a phrase they recognized. For us, it's, it's less familiar. United Kingdom, maybe, slightly familiar. That's the queen's domain, isn't it? The realm of her rule. God's kingdom is the king's domain, the king's dominion, where he rules. Simply put, the kingdom of God is what my life, your life, our society's life would look like if God had his way. The kingdom of God will be the state of the world if God's will was done on earth as it is in heaven and there were no wills opposing his will. And by the way, the kingdom of God is what the world will look like one day, what all creation will be like when Jesus returns and everything comes completely under his rule. So here we are, Mark 1, Jesus announces this, the first overarching thing he says at the beginning of uh, his ministry. With his arrival, the kingdom of God has broken into the world. It's come near, it's there, it's in him, because the kingdom of God is inseparably linked with the presence of the king. 
So this, friends, let's just remind ourselves, this is not some esoteric, airy-fairy kind of construct that some clever theologians have devised. This is the reality from heaven to earth, from the king who comes to earth and says, it's all about the kingdom. Where, how are you relating to that? This matters more than anything. He says it, Matthew 6, different gospels. Seek what? Seek first the kingdom. Top priority. Live kingdom lives. And then everything else kind of finds its place when we get that right. Kingdom of God brings together the kind of the gospel of salvation along with a, a gospel of transformation. Embraces both and probably it goes beyond, doesn't it? It says that, yes, heaven and hell are realities. Eternal destinies are at stake. So there is literally nothing more important than for people to acknowledge their need of rescue and to embrace Jesus' saving work on the cross and surrender their lives to him and trust him as their Lord. And without that, they remain lost now and one day forever. So true transformation of a, of, of a life can only happen when hearts are transformed and put into connection with God's heart. True transformation, that's where true transformation happens. No amount of money can manage that, no amount of education, no amount of better medicine, better food, better housing, better conditions, better justice, nothing. But God's kingdom is also about fullness of life this side of the grave. Yeah, we believe in life after death, but Jesus says, yeah, we believe in life before death too. Fullness of life, this side of glory. God's kingdom, where God's kingdom breaks in, things get changed for better in all kinds of ways. Physical health, mental health, economic health, prosperity, peace in relationships, marriages get more whole, families get stronger, individuals get touched, groups get touched, communities get touched, even nations find themselves changing. Different realms of human activity. You can't name a sphere of human activity in which the kingdom of God doesn't have a part to play as it breaks in and makes things different. Whatever realm you're involved in, business, arts, education, healthcare, whatever it is. We've just had the privilege of being a day and a half, couple of days in Felderbrannan. Some of you know the little retreat place buried in the, heart, in, in the West Wales there. And as they prayed this prayer, your kingdom come and pray kingdom blessing over their community in this past decade or so, they've seen kingdom transformations. They've seen lives transformed and coming into connection with the king, but they've seen businesses turn around. They've seen the economy of the area improve. They've seen businesses win prizes for things. Agriculture has, has suddenly had an extraordinary boost and the farms are much more productive than they used to be. It's extraordinary. Uh, families and communities where there was hostility and enmity have found peace in relationship. The kingdom of God has broken in and continues to break in. How does that work? Why? Because the culture and the reality of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, invades the realm of earth. I wonder what that would look like. As you pray, thy kingdom come, I wonder what that looks like in your sphere of activity, by the way. In, in, the, in the realm that you're involved in, not just in your family and your personal connections, but in, is, are you in business? Are you in education? Are you at the school gate? What are you involved in? What would the, the kingdom of God break? What would transformation look like? Sure, first and foremost, hearts being connected and saved through relationship with God. But what would, the, what would the transformation look like? I hope that we pray with imagination. When we pray, thy kingdom come, a great thing to do is, Lord, fire me with some imagination. What would that look like in my set of circumstances? So there it is in Mark 1, no surprise. This is how Jesus sets up 
The whole of his ministry, in fact, the whole of the rest of this series, in many ways, will be sub-messages of this message of how the kingdom of God breaks into human lives and how we play our part in that. How do we enter it? I'm going to be very brief about this. Verse 14, are you there? With a new mindset. It's called repentance. You know that? Repentance just means a new mindset. Giving up on your old ways of thinking because they weren't very good. They led you down dead-end roads. Turning around in that mindset, being transformed in minds, going in the opposite direction. Surrendering to God, then believing in him, trusting him, that access to the kingdom is by faith. Faith like a little child, by the way. We love being reminded, don't we, to get in touch with the child that's within us. It's so important. Like the father and the child on the pavement. Matthew 18, actually. I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. We can't get in by being all sophisticated and adult and thinking that we can figure it out. No, you need to even to be born again, says Jesus to Nicodemus, doesn't he? John 3. Unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. But once you're born again, once you've entered the kingdom of God, once you're a, a, a kingdom person, then it's ours to enjoy. Ours to enjoy. Do you enjoy the kingdom of God? Do you enjoy God's rule and reign in your life? That would be the evidence, I think, of, or one of the evidences of being a kingdom person, that we love being kingdom people. We love experiencing more and more of what it means to, to live under the reign of, of God's dominion and to want that for ourselves. And sin just becomes that annoying and irritating thing that messes us up from time to time and hurts us and harms us and hinders us and gets in the way of a fuller communion with God. We may be loyal subjects of Her Majesty the Queen. How amazing. Wasn't it spectacular yesterday? I mean, it was just amazing. Proud to be British and all of that. They say the British passport is the most, I think it's still true, is the most influential in the world still. Uh, and, and you can access more countries without a special visa on a British passport than you can without any other. And that's pretty amazing. But a far superior identity to being Her Britannic Majesty's citizens and servants is to be a citizen of heaven, of God's kingdom. Is that what you are? And the privileges and the benefits and the blessings and, yes, the responsibilities that are attached to, to that. So the ways that we think about the whole ourselves, the world, need to come through the filter of, am I a I'm a kingdom person. What does it mean to be a kingdom person? How I go about how, how you wake up tomorrow morning and go to work. Will you see through the filter, I'm a kingdom person. What, was the king, what would the kingdom of God look like in my environment today? How can I play my part in that? And what's the key to it? Eyes fixed on the king, obviously. That's always the, the answer. If it's not a squirrel, the answer is always Jesus. All right, fix eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the king, because he models it perfectly. I remember doing a jigsaw years ago with my sister. And I'm rubbish at jigsaws. My wife will testify that I'm the world's worst at kind of spatial awareness and stuff like that. I was struggling with this jigsaw. It was a, a royal photograph, I happen to remember, and I was making a complete mess of it. And I remember to this day, she said, well, start with the king in the middle. Put the king in the middle, and then the other things will sort of sort themselves out. Put the king in the middle. Set the king in the middle. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And we begin to understand what the kingdom looks like and how we play our part. He, 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 everything that he spoke and did demonstrated this message of the kingdom, that he had come as king from the throne room of heaven, that the rule that God, of God was becoming present through him, defeating, therefore, anything that, that was opposed to God and his rule. So he dealt with all of that. In 1 John, it says Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil ones, part of his mandate on earth. So every time he came across something which was opposed, which was from the kingdom of evil and opposed to God, he destroyed it. 
It's why sickness had to leave. It's why leprosy had to go. It's why pain left. It's why he dealt with oppression. And lives got changed. And one day, every knee will bow to Jesus as Lord. And there will be no more sickness and no more pain and no more oppression and no more death. And all evil will totally be destroyed on earth then as it is now in heaven completely. Amen. Praise God. One day. One day. No more pain. No more sickness. No more suffering. No more oppression. No more injustice. No more poverty. No more of those negative emotions that can tear us down and pull lives apart. But for now, life is still tough, right? We know that. Life is still tough. You don't need me to tell you that. Why? Because the, whilst the war, the, the battle, the, the war has been won, there are still battles. Not going to dwell on this, but it's pretty obvious that the evidence of conflict is still around. Kingdom of God has broken in in the life of Jesus. Lives are transformed and changed. But the Bible is pretty clear that the age in which we live in is still an age that is dominated by the realm of evil. The whole world, 1 John 5, 19, the whole world is still under the control of the evil one. So there's conflict. Things happen, the kingdom breaking in now, but not completely. That's why that phrase, John Wimber, I think it was, who used the phrase, the vineyard used the phrase, the now of the kingdom and the not yet of the kingdom. We experience plenty now, but there's some stuff that we, we just don't experience. It's not come in its fullness yet. One day, yes, but, and therefore there's a not yet dimension. There's a future, a not yet fulfilled <laughs> dimension. So there's battle that goes on. And we see that time and time again. Meteorologically, meteorologically that's a hard word. When cold air, cold front hits a warm front, what happens is a storm. I think, geographers, correct me. But I think that's right. There's, there's a conflict between these two realms, and when they, they, they come together, there's difficulty. There's storms. It's why there's storms in our lives. We shouldn't be surprised about that. It's conflict in kingdoms. It's why there's conflict in here, actually. Yes, I'm a kingdom person. Yes, the old has been transformed, and I'm a new creation under Christ. And yes, my identity is a son of God. And yes, that is the identity fully that I carry. And yet I still evidence the battle within as Paul said, I do stuff I don't want to do. I, do, I don't do stuff I do want to do. There's a, there's a flesh part of me and there's a spirit part of me and there's a battle going on and I still see evidence of the flesh part of me, the internal conflict, now and not yet. But I want to say one of the implications of this is that we are not to lower the bar on what Jesus calls us to. I just want to dwell on this just a moment. It, it grieves me, it pains me, it pains me when I find myself lowering my bar on what I might expect. If the kingdom of God has broken in, and Jesus has been pretty clear, by the way, about his instructions to us, now you go. You're commissioned. As the Father sent me, so I commission you. Well, how is he commissioned? To be full of the Spirit, to break in, break in with the kingdom, and to destroy the works of the evil one. Same commission, same Holy Spirit, same mission for us. Trinity Church, go heal the sick. Go cast out demons. Go proclaim the message of the God. Go do it. That's his commission. Is he, is he telling us to do something that we can't do? No, that would be completely cruel. So we are not at liberty, friends, to lower the bar. We might ha need some understanding as to why things don't happen when we lay a hand on a sick person and they don't get well. We might want to have some, uh, continue to ask some questions of God. Why is that happening? But we can't stop laying hands on sick people. We can't stop pushing into places of injustice and poverty and seeking transformation in Jesus' name because that's the commission. 
And sure, we know that it won't be fulfilled this side of the grave, all of it. But we cannot use the excuse of not yet, some future thing, to see too little now. Would you agree? I heard Bruce Collins once at New Wine say, sure, um, you know, we might not see all the healing that we want to see. But, but church, he said, our batting average is very low. <laughs> Could we not raise our average a little bit? And sure, that might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Friends, we've got to be secure enough to be challenged by this. That's okay. We don't have all the answers. So let's not use rubbish theology to excuse our lack. So now, not yet. Let's see more now. Let's press into more now. Let's dig into more now. Let's be up for more now, because that's Jesus' commission, and it's what he's called us to do. Requires a few things. Of course it does. But let's not use the not yet as an excuse for not now. We want to see more. Don't lower the bar. Let's not lower the bar. Here's Jesus, full of the Spirit, walking with the Father. Need to move on. Come back to Mark 1. We enter the kingdom. We enjoy the kingdom, God's reign, God's rule, transforming first our own hearts, our own lives. As we follow Jesus, we grow in relationship, allow his Spirit to fill us, change us. But essentially, we're kingdom activists. It's a phrase for today, maybe. Kingdom activists. Bill Johnson says that heaven is our destiny, but the kingdom is our assignment. So we head into a working week. What's your assignment? A whole bunch of things. But underneath all of them, sorry, over all of them is this. Your kingdom assignment is, is that. It's a kingdom of God assignment to step in, to enjoy, uh, enter, but to extend the kingdom of God, to extend the kingdom of God, to extend the rule and the reign of God in any and every situation that we come across, to provide opportunity for God's intervention in the affairs of men and women. That is what the church is for. We get to partner with him. This is his plan. Could he do it without us? Sure, he could, but he's chosen not to. So let's not rewrite the Bible and say that it's somebody else's job or that it's his job directly. It's our job. It's our assignment. Jesus said to the disciples just before he died, John 14, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Get that? Anyone who's got faith in me will do what I've been doing. Well, it's pretty clear what he's been doing. It's recorded in the book. We're, about, we're enjoying exploring it for these weeks in Mark 1. He actually goes on saying you'll do even greater things, and we could have an argue about what that means, but let's, let's, not, let's have no argument about the first thing at least. You're going to do what he's been doing. Well, that's pretty good by my book. Let's pass it on to us. Three things from Mark 1, really, really briefly, just because we're in Mark 1. Open the, the chapter if you've got it right there. There may be some other ones, but here are three really obvious ways in which the extending happens, the extending of the kingdom, not just enjoying it for ourselves. I thought David, what David did was so great here this morning. We don't just sit in our holy huddle under the, the bench and let the rest of the world go hang. No, there's an extending required. There's a going, there's a leaving, there's a going and doing. But here are three things in Mark 1 that are part of that. One is prayer. Don't tell me that anything good happens of God unless it's been prayed about first, because I, I just won't believe you. Why? Because it doesn't happen in Jesus' life. Verse 35, very early in the morning. Who loves that phrase? <laughs> the morning people, you tiggers. Yeah, I'm jealous. I ain't one of those. Um, but anyway, there it is. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Let's not forget, for all the doing that we see Jesus doing, it's all undergirded by prayer. It's all undergirded by connection with the Father. I only see what... And, and step into what the Father's doing and, and saying. Well, how would he know? Because he's connecting with the Father in prayer all the time. With others, by himself, before dark, through the day, whatever. 
And he then encourages us to pray. We've been praying this prayer. Your kingdom come, Lord, here on earth, just like it is in heaven. Don't think that's just a formula prayer, although it's good to pray it as it stands. But it's the essence, isn't it, of how we pray. God, what does it look like? What's my role in your kingdom activity today in this meeting as I return home to my family or the people that I share a house with? And what does it look like to defeat anything which opposes God's activity so that God's rule and reign and blessing and favor and his presence comes crashing into lives that don't know him and his kingdom breaks in. Prayer, it's got to undergird all of it. Am I expecting any kind of transformation in my life without praying about it? Might be a good question. Is there any realm of my daily activity that I'm expecting to see change for good, for God, those around me, but I'm expecting that to happen without praying because it won't happen. Proclamation, second, verse 14. Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Verse 38, Jesus replied, everybody's looking for him. No, let's go somewhere else to nearby villages so that I can preach there also. I've got to do some more proclaiming. That's why I've come. So he traveled through Galilee preaching in the synagogues. Friends, I'm not suggesting for a minute that this is all about preaching in that word. That can have some rather negative connotations, that word. It's not about us preaching to people. But there is something about words here. There's something about proclamation. And we can't get away from it, even if we we want to. It's why we need to keep praying for courage so much. Because I'm pretty convinced that most of us have a message. I'm also pretty convinced that fear holds us from giving that message in the way that we might like to. And sure, our lives are our message. I get that. Actions speak louder than words, absolutely. But we need words too, right? I think it was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, that thing, the quotable quote around, um, you know, go and preach the gospel, use words if necessary. I feel a bit sorry for St. Francis because um, the, the implication is just your, your lives are okay, the, your actions are okay, and you don't really need to, to use words very often. Actually, in context, he was saying exactly the opposite, <laughs> as it turns out. St. Francis was stressing the importance of talking about Jesus. Because nobody can come to faith. Nobody can be transformed ultimately. No heart can come into connection with God's heart without hearing the message of Jesus. So there's something about our our words and our actions lining up here, isn't there? And however that might look, and don't get me wrong, this is not preaching, this is not my soapbox, but this is, if I find it easy enough and natural enough to talk about um, Manchester United losing the FA Cup. (laughs) Now, I, was th- I was thinking Arsenal. I find it pretty easy to talk about Arsenal or, or um, Sunshine or Felderbrennan or my family or, or, or whatever, stuff that I love and like. We find it easy to do that, right? Why would I not find it easy for Jesus to be on my lips too, as easily? Uh, it, just in normal and natural ways, not weird ways, not being freaky, but just... And some of you are brilliant at this. Some of you have the gift of this. Some of you have the gift of evangelism. I won't get sidetracked by that. I'm about to ride a hobby horse, but I won't. Um, But we all have a story to tell. If we don't have a story to tell, then we need to get some stories to tell. And part of that is stepping into courage and and stepping out of our our comfort zones and that kind of thing. But there's proclamation required here. There's ways of speaking, ways of gently testifying uh, about who who Jesus is, what he means to us. There's proclamation. Prayer, proclamation, and then, uh, frankly, practical stuff. Let's put it under that rather naff heading. Uh, There's some going and doing required here. There's some doing. And some of that will look natural. 
and some of that will look supernatural. I'm not making a huge distinction because actually under the kingdom of God, all of it is supernaturally natural. All of it is touched by a supernatural God. We can't do any of it, by the way, without being filled and empowered by the Spirit. So good luck with trying any of this without him. But it's practical stuff. So what do we find Jesus doing here? In between times of proclamation and prayer. Well, he comes face to face with normal human suffering in a broken world. He's walking around and, he's, and, and he comes across human need. And he's got a mandate to bring heaven's solution into that need. That's what bringing the kingdom of God, extending the kingdom of God looks like. Something that opposes God's reign and rule, something that exists on earth that doesn't exist in heaven. He's got a mandate to bring heaven to bear in that situation. And so have we. And not, by the way, as some pointy-fingered, out of compassion. If you read that, that verse, the, the, the story of the leper, there's three stories. I haven't got time to read all of them. There's three stories here in Mark 1. The, the final one, it, it reminds us, and again and again and again, whenever Jesus steps into any of this, what is his motivation? Is it to go, da-da, told you so, I can do it? No. It's compassion for those in places of need, where the realm of the evil one, where our brokenness and addictions and, and hurt have caused damage. So he's moved by compassion, but he also has authority and an awareness that, full of the Spirit, he can bring heaven's solution, and he does, again and again. There are no demons in heaven. Did you know that? So verse 25, and that story there, what happens? He casts out a demon, and the guy is no longer oppressed. There's no pain or fever in heaven. Verse 31, in the next story, he's hanging out, having some food. Simon Peter's mother-in-law has got a fever. He makes her well. And, and she's healed. And heaven breaks into earth. The kingdom of God breaks out. No disease or isolation. There's no disease. There's no isolation in heaven. That's a beautiful story of the leper. Verse 38 onwards here. The leper is made well. Uh, and again, we could do a whole s sort of series and talk around leprosy and, and, and what it meant beyond just the physical difficulty and, and horror of that disease, but in terms of social exclusion and identity and all of those sorts of things. In a moment, the kingdom of God breaks through, and this is a man who's not only healed physically, but he's reunited and restored in community, and his Id whole identity changes. And he can't help, by the way, talking about it. It gets, makes Jesus' life a little bit more difficult, but we don't blame the guy because he's got a story to tell. So what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in, we get stories. So the kingdom, kingdom living has got to look like something, hasn't it? Entering, enjoying, extending the kingdom of God by prayer, by proclamation, and by practical stuff. That's smart one. I'm going to tell a short story, and then we're going to pray. Just a, a story that I came across, a true story. And as you hear this, Allow the Spirit of God to fire your imagination. What would it be like? Lord, what are you saying to me about my role in extending your kingdom? It's a guy called Chris. Began to have a burden for a town in Northern California, quite near his house, community of about 1,000 people, but crime and drugs and immorality were running rampant there. It's the worst town in the whole county. He writes this. We began to walk around that town every week praying. Notice what it starts with, by the way. Praying, pray, pray, pray. We prayed around the town weekly for a year. We prayed after dark so we wouldn't always be conspicuous and stand out like religious freaks. 
We never missed a week for a whole year. We were determined to see the kingdom of God come in that town of Lewiston, it was called. At the end of a long year, about 15 people joined us to keep praying around the town. We split up into teams of two. We prayer walked for a couple of hours. Later, we'd meet in the parking lot of an old abandoned gym, and we prayed together for the people of the community, and we battled together in prayer until we sensed that we'd received a breakthrough in the heavenly realm in prayer. Interesting. Within a week... The probation department of the town called us unexpectedly and asked if we'd like to work with them in the town. They had 35 kids on probation. They wanted us to minister to the kids while they, the, the council worked with, uh, the probation service worked with some of the parents. And the community gave us the abandoned gym for free. First few months were wild. We'd play basketball, volleyball for an hour and then take a break. And during the break, I'd share a message, giving them some tools to help them get through what they were going through, but also telling them about the love of God. So we met twice a week for the next five years, and the group grew to over 120 people. Some drug pushers joined us on most nights, and over those five years, the entire town changed. The entire town changed. And amongst others, drug dealers got saved. Most of the kids began to respect themselves, started having moral standards. We taught the teenagers how to deal with conflict, so the fighting stopped. The entire community uh, got cleaned up. And of course, many, many, many lives were transformed by knowing the love of Jesus in new ways. The kingdom of God came through. The kingdom of God came through. How did it come? Prayer, surrender, practical stuff, speaking, being courageous, not letting fear get in the way, based on a deep conviction that this is our assignment. What on earth am I doing? We're kingdom people. Our assignment, friends, is the kingdom. Let's stand.